0: Welcome to the Wealth Setting Podcast. This is episode 114. It's May 28th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at InvestableWealth.com. Well, thanks for joining us today. In this episode, we're going to cover part two of how to use stops and protective puts. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into the main topic, picking up where we left off on the stop loss. I wanted to spend some time and make sure we talked about the complexity of where you actually set your price. Because as we talked about in the previous episode about flash crashes and how the bottom can just fall out of a stock, well, you can increase your odds of avoiding a flash crash if you set the right sell price for your stop loss. So let's talk about that. It's very important where you put your sell price. And that's the reason I talk so much about charting and looking at trends and looking at a particular chart. And even though none of us have a crystal ball, we know how human nature works and we know how standard trading practices are employed. And so when you look at a chart, you can generally see where support is. Things like the 50-day moving average, the 200-day moving average, or where historical support has been on that particular stock over the last three to six months. You can pretty much identify those on a chart and you can draw them in with horizontal lines. Again, go back to that article that I recently wrote on investablewealth.com. And you'll see the horizontal lines I penciled in. Well, that can be considered a support level. And so what that would mean to you in terms of of what price you would select for your stop loss, you can look at that level of support and you can say, well, if I pick exactly that level of support at my stop loss, I can probably be pretty sure that many other hundreds or thousands of people are using that same support level and so that might be how you fall into that flash crash scenario so you might wanna set your stop-loss a little bit above or a little bit below that support level in the previous example we utilized, we talked about a fifty dollar stock and we said we might wanna have a stop-loss order in for forty eight dollars well if that forty eight dollars falls right on the support level maybe you wanna front-end that and say Well, I don't want to wait for it to drop all the way to $48 because everybody else is going to sell there. So I'm going to have my sell price set $48.25 or $48.10. You know, whatever's above that level of support. That would get you out ahead of the crowd. On the other hand, oftentimes we know that stocks come down to that support level and then they bounce up from it. And that's because many people are trying to front run it and people are putting their sell orders in ahead of that level of support. And so what happens is, is that a bunch of people sell just before it gets to that support level that drives the price down just about to the support level institutional investors will come in because they think it's a good price at that point and they'll buy the stock up and that's why you'll frequently see the stock come down to its support level and bounce back up because people are getting in and buying on the dips and so that's a risk you take if you put your sell price just above the support level on the other hand if you put it just below the support level, that might protect you from selling too early. But should the bottom actually fall out of that stock, you could find yourself in that flash crash situation or, or having the floor fall out in your stock where it not only drops down below that support level, but it drastically breaks deeply below that support level. And while you thought you were going to be able to sell your stock for $48, you end up selling it for you know, $39.50. So that's the risk you take below the support level. Well, that wraps things up for the first method I wanted to talk to you about, which was the stop loss. Now, the other method that's employed for preserving profits is something called a protective put. You've heard me talk about puts before. Um, you've heard me, I think not too long ago in this podcast, specifically talking about a protective put that I employed when trading gold back in, in November of uh, 2012 or something like that. In any case, a protective put is a method of employing options whenever you have options you can either buy or sell a call or you could buy or sell a put a protective put is employed when you purchase the put now the reason it's called a put is because it's a contract it's a derivative that allows you to put a stock on someone else at a particular agreed-upon price that agreed-upon price is called a strike price Now remember, it's called a put because it gives you the contractual ability to put that stock on someone else. It doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean you'll want to. It doesn't necessarily mean it's profitable for you to do that, but you have the option to do it. So that's why it's an option and that's why it's called a put. Here's how it works. Let's say again, you own this stock. And regardless of the price you bought it at, it's currently trading at $50, and you want to preserve your profits or limit your losses somewhere around $50. So you would buy an option contract with a strike price of somewhere near $50, and that would give you the ability over a set period of time that should that stock drop below $50, you could either exercise that put and, in effect, put it on someone else, make them purchase the stock for $50, or you could just sell your contract on the open market if it hadn't expired yet and because your strike price is higher than the current value of the stock your put would have intrinsic and in time value on it and you'd be able to sell that put at a profit Now, here's the way it works though if you own the underlying stock let's call it XYZ stock if you own that and is currently trading for fifty dollars and then you purchase a put somewhere at or near fifty dollars For every penny or every dollar that your stock goes down, you're losing the value of your XYZ stock and it's eating into your profits. But at the exact same rate, your put is going up. So if you lose 10 cents in your stock, your put appreciates 10 cents. And so that's why it's called a protective put. It's not a naked put where you only own the put. You actually own the underlying stock, the XYZ stock. And so a put isn't going to make you profits, it's just going to preserve the profits on the stock, the XYZ stock that you already own. That's an important thing to understand, and that's what distinguishes a protective put, which is protecting your position in a stock from like a naked speculative put where you only own the put and you don't own the underlying stock. I'm not going to go into all that right now. you can, I think, go back and listen to, as I mentioned, episode 88. I think I talked more about using those more speculative puts in that episode. But remember, for our purposes today, we're just talking about preserving profits that you already have when you own an underlying stock or exchange-traded fund because, again, you can't buy puts on mutual funds. You can only buy them as a derivative in the form of an option on a stock or on an exchange-traded fund. So you can think of a put as a short-term life insurance policy on that stock or that exchange-traded fund that you own. It works very much for illustrative purposes as a term life insurance policy, okay? It is an insurance. It's an option. I'm just trying to um, illustrate this as a point so you can understand a little bit better what it is. Just like you would have life insurance on your person, that if you should pass away in the next 5 or 10 or 20 years, whatever that term of that policy is, at your death, your family would be compensated whatever agreed upon sum of money you, you purchased. And likewise, your premium would be more expensive depending upon how long that term was in effect. For example, a 20-year policy is going to cost you more on a monthly basis than a 10-year policy would. And also, a million-dollar policy is going to have a higher premium than a $50,000 policy. So the higher your strike price or the more distant your strike price is above the current sell price, that's what we would call in the money, the larger that gap is, you are going to pay a higher premium for your put. And then the longer term that option is in effect... That contract, remember you have a contract to put this on someone else for a designated period of time at a particular strike price. Well, that period of time may be a few days, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could actually be three years. There are all different types of contracts. The farther out in time you go, you know, obviously because of the time value of money and the uncertainty, you're going to pay more of a premium for that, just like 20-year life insurance is more expensive than five-year term life insurance. So that's important for you to know and it gets back to the major disadvantage of a protective put because you're actually asking yourself, well, if I could go out there and buy an insurance policy on my stock to prevent me from losing money on it, then why wouldn't everybody do that? Well, the same reason everybody doesn't own a $10 million life insurance policy. I mean, why doesn't the average person insure their life for $10 million? Everybody knows they're going to die, and everybody knows that life insurance bypasses most tax situations like inheritance tax and capital gains tax and things like that. So from a tax standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, and you know you're ultimately going to die at some point. So why wouldn't everybody just take out a $10 million life insurance policy on themselves? Well, the reason you don't do that is because you can't afford the premium. And that's the exact same reason why most people wouldn't own a protective put on their particular stock or on their exchange-traded fund. And that's because that premium can be very expensive. That premium can vary. Remember, it's based on the difference between the strike price and where that, where that current stock is selling. So, that, so that, that delta, that's the intrinsic value of the put. And then it's also based on that time value. Is the put going to expire in a week or is it going to expire in three years? That's how that premium is based. It could be as little as one basis point. It could be as much as 30%. It's market-based, so it all depends on how much other people in the market have factored in the risk and the volatility for that underlying stock or that underlying exchange-traded fund because you have to remember by buying the put, you're protecting yourself in the event that the price collapses on that stock or that index and it goes down. So you're buying that put to insure your profits. At the same time, you have to buy it from another individual investor. That individual investor, it could be a pension fund. It could just be another investor like yourself. They're taking the risk that if the price of that stock does go down or does plummet, that you're going to put that on them and they're going to be forced to buy it. And so just like the life insurance company, they're going to hedge their bets. They're going to want to be paid more for stocks that are more volatile or for markets that are more volatile so going into earnings you're gonna see the premiums get higher on stocks that have wide swings and are highly volatile you are gonna see higher premiums on those as well just like if you're a smoker you're gonna pay more for health insurance or life insurance than if you weren't a smoker it's all about risk and that risk is set by the market and so you can see how that premium could be very expensive you as the individual investor have to determine how much that premium is worth to you how much do you want to lock in the profits of your stock how much are you willing to pay for that and how much time do you want to lock it in maybe you only want to lock it in to get you through this next earnings period you know maybe you own a stock that uh, you've made a 20% profit on and uh, earnings earnings are coming out on it in the next couple weeks and you found a protective put that you can buy that cost you two percent and it'll get you through the next month and you so you say well you know what I I want to hold on to this stock because I believe in its future I think it's gonna have a good earnings announcement it's paying a dividend soon these are all reasons why I want to hold on to it at the same time I have a 20 a, percent a profit in it I don't wanna lose that profit but I'm willing to pay two percent to ensure that price over the next four weeks and then when you get through that earnings period and your option expires, if you were right, and if earnings look good and it paid its dividend and everything was fine, well, maybe that stock's still going to be selling at the same price, or or maybe it's even appreciated and shot up higher. And in fact, maybe it's gone up even more than the two percent that you had to pay to purchase that put. So you're happy and you've preserved your profits, and you just let that put expire unused. On the other hand, Let's say that the unexpected happened and, and when earnings came out, that stock announced poor earnings, it gave bad guidance in the future and, and the stock uh, dropped, you know, 15 or 20%. Well, you had that put in place and you could either exercise that put and get your money back at that strike price that you authorized and that would lock in your profits so that you really only lost 2% because that's what you paid for the premium of the put. Or perhaps you don't even wait until the put expires and you just sell it in the open market. And again, it's not that you're going to make money on the put, but the put is going to preserve your profits. Since you pay 2% upfront premium for that put, you know that that's all that you're going to lose over this next you know, four weeks when you're waiting to hear the earnings come out. And so instead of Making 20% on that stock, you end up selling your position in the stock and selling your put, and when it's all said and done, you come out with an 18% profit. But that was a smart thing to do because it protected you during that vulnerable period during earnings, and in this case, it was bad earnings and the stock dropped 10 or 20%, but in your case, you preserved your earnings and the most you lost was 2%, which was the premium that you paid for the protective put. I hope that wasn't too complicated for you. I know we got a bit down in the weeds there in some terminology. For those of you that are less active traders or not familiar with how options work, you may not have understood all that. Like I said, go back, rewind, listen to it a few times. The other thing I would encourage you to do if you are interested in something like this, go ahead and Google it. Google Protective Put. Call up your discount broker. You know, help have them walk you through it. Whenever you place an order for Protective Put, you're going to see some new terminology that maybe you're not familiar with. The order would be called buy to open because you're, you're initiating the position, so you want to buy to open it. Whenever you sell to put, you're going to sell to close. So that's a little bit different terminology than you would normally have when you make a stock transaction. Uh, the other thing to, to remember about this, and this is also a disadvantage, is that each contract is done in 100 share increments. Now, with some of the more popular exchange traded fund and stocks, you can get micro puts. I'm really not familiar with those because I, I don't deal in those. I just buy straight contracts. But a, con- a traditional contract is 100 shares of a stock. What that means is, is that the smallest unit that you can protect would be 100 shares of the stock. So, for example, Apple stock right now is trading for $132 a share. That would mean that you would have to own 100 shares of Apple to protect it with one contract. So that would mean that you'd have to own over $13,000 of Apple to protect it. So if all you own was one or two shares of Apple, or if you had a very small amount in your portfolio, you really wouldn't be able to adequately use protective puts. That's why you oftentimes hear me say that when I deal with my clients, I only work with people that I feel that I can help, and generally, the strategies that I employ work best with people that have at least $250,000. That doesn't mean I don't work with people that only have $100,000, but what it means is that my hands are tied to some degree with clients that would have less than several hundred thousand dollars, and it's for exactly this reason that I just mentioned. It's harder to implement more complex strategies like using options if you don't have several hundred thousand dollars where you can own major positions in individual stocks or exchange traded funds and then also have the wherewithal to back those up with protective puts. So that's one more reason why protective puts are not more widely utilized. Not only could they be expensive, but you have to buy them in increments of one contract and one contract represents 100 shares of a stock. So that's something for you to think about. Those are two ways that you can protect your profits. I think that's uh, very timely information for you to understand when we're very close to all-time highs and when we are going into the summer months where we might see some more turbulence and some possible downturns. If you want to hold on through these times, you might want to consider using a protective put if it's appropriate, or you might want to talk to your broker about putting in something like a stop-loss order to protect you in the event that we do have a a 5 or or 10% pullback. Well, there you have it. There's a lot of things to think about with trading stocks. I try and break things down and make them understandable and simple for you. And in many cases, building wealth and and investing and trading is simple, but it also can be very complicated. And that's why I advise you, if you don't know what you're doing, make sure you get an education. Don't just jump into things that you're not aware of. Make sure you understand what you're doing and and make sure you've had some practice at it. Try your technique out, either paper trade or do some type of uh, online simulation. Don't get too cocky. Don't assume you're the smartest guy in the room. Just because the market's been up the last couple years and you think you're making money, it doesn't mean you're Einstein or Warren Buffett. Take your time. Make sure you're well diversified. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And when it's appropriate, hire a professional to help you. Well, I hope you found this informative. As always, if you have questions or concerns, or you have a comment you'd like to get to me, you can do that at the website, wealthsteading.com. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.